You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 124, featuring special guest T. Boyich of Broadway's Mean Girls. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? My name is Maggie Berra, and welcome to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, the Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Don't forget that the theater industry is a business and it's all about branding and marketing. You can be the absolute best actor in the world, but if no one knows who you are and you don't know how to market yourself, what's the point? Learn how to easily define your brand and communicate it through websites, social media, headshots, resumes, postcards, and audition material by grabbing a copy of my ebook, Marketing 101 for Actors, an actor's guide to successful branding. Simply go to actoraesthetic.com shop to get your copy today. What's up, friends? It's Maggie Barra. Thank you for joining me this week for another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. I am thrilled to share this episode with you today because it features a chat with someone who I've admired for quite some time, and her name is T. Boyich. Now, if you're unfamiliar with T, she recently made her historic debut in the original Broadway cast of Mean Girls, the musical, as the standby for Katie Heron, Gretchen, Janice, and adult women at the August Wilson Theater, which we will talk about in today's episode. She's also known for her studio recording work. She's recorded the viral theme song to the Netflix hit show Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. She also provided vocals for various episodes throughout the series and she lives in New York City with her husband and their pop, Butters. In this episode, we chat about college, Broadway debuts, her multiple-year journey with Mean Girls, trusting your gut, and literally all of the things. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. T, thank you so much for joining me today. Where are you in the world? Are you in New York City right now? I am. I'm currently in my apartment on the Upper West Side. Where did you grow up initially? Are you from the Midwest, somewhere out in the Midwest? I am. I grew up originally on the south side of Chicago, and my family moved further out into the suburbs when I was about three or four, Mm -hmm. and in a little suburb called Mokina, which is near Orland Park, and I grew up there my entire life. Didn't move Mm -hmm. again until I went to college. Wow. So how did you initially get involved in the world of performing? Uh, That stemmed from the fact that I was a middle child and desperate to get any sort of attention uh, of my own. Uh, But truly, it just started, I played piano from the time I was about four onwards. And that's kind of what my parents thought I was going to do in life. And then my dad was always really big into like the golden age musicals. So growing up, I would watch, to this day, I can only listen to these soundtracks with him, is West Side Story, Jesus Christ Superstar, Sound of Music, and Oliver. Those are the only musicals that he likes. And uh, so I would watch those with him growing up. So I grew up doing that. And I auditioned for my first musical when I was in about fourth grade and did not make it. 
got cut and was heartbroken. It was Annie. And I swore I'd never do it again. And that went really well. Um, and then I just, my first actual show was Cinderella and it was like at a community theater and I just fell in love with it from there on out. And it just spiraled. Now, did you always know from then on out that you wanted to pursue a career in this? Did you know that that was possible? I knew that it was possible. And my family were very supportive to a degree. Uh, they were obviously worried about that sort of career path. Uh, but actually, you know, my dad was kind of against it until my first sort of summer stock gig when I was 16, a director of the Goodman Theater in Chicago came up to me afterwards. It was you're in town. And uh, I had played um, little little Becky, like the crazy one. I think her name is little Becky, two shoes. He came up to me after and congratulated me. And he turned to my dad and he said, you know, she could do this. And then from there on out, my dad became the biggest stage dad <laughs> ever. And it's very cute. He'll call me and he'll be like, Tibert, I just, I saw this show and I think you'd be great in it. And it, like, not at all, but thanks dad. So he was very supportive. Um, but my family, our deal when I went to college was I had to double major. So I, I originally went for vocal performance and communications, but I did always kind of assume this was going to be my path up until I graduated college. And then I was going to go back to uh, school to be a nurse. And then obviously we can get into that later, but um, then things changed. Gosh. So what was your, what went behind your decision to go to school initially for vocal performance as opposed to musical theater? Actually, huh. Very weird story. Actually, not a weird story. A very cool story is uh, Stephanie J. Block was the one. I saw the first tour of Wicked and was obsessed with her. And I was, you know, in sixth grade. So I had a whole, all the pictures on my wall in my bedroom and we went to see it and stage door after. And she was so sweet and so kind. Um, and I asked her if she had any advice. And she was the one who said, get a vocal performance degree and learn how to sustain the voice eight times a week and then bring in your musical theater to it. And I, I ran with that. And also I think to my parents, me studying vocal performance was an easier pill for them to swallow than musical theater, hmm. I guess, which I was like, opera is a faster dying, you know, career than <laughs> musical theater, but sure. <laughs> sure, um, whatever. Why sure, not? whatever, sure. Uh, oh. And I fell in love with my school, DePaul, and they only had vocal performance. So I went for that. Okay. And you went, and so you were double majoring in both mm -hmm. communications and vocal performance. Yep. So you were there for two years. I was. And what switched? What, what, what happened yeah. that made you want to go for musical theater? So I fell in love with my voice teacher, Dr. Jay White. And any, any performer knows that a voice teacher is a good voice teacher that you connect with and can call you on your shit as well as, you know, teach you and push you um, is invaluable. And he and I worked together for two years and had an incredible relationship. And he got offered a new job at Kent State University. And about a day before my, my um, juries, which for people that aren't musical or aren't vocal performance majors, you kind of have to go in front of the full faculty and you present maybe six songs and they pick two that you sing and grade you on it. It's incredibly nerve wracking. And right before that, he told me he was leaving to go to Kent State and he sat me down and he said, I, I love the work that we're doing and I think you really have a career in this and I would like to take you with me to Kent State if you'd like to come. I don't think you're going to get the musical because he knew like my heart was in musical theater and he and this is the kind of teacher he was. He goes, you can be a subpar opera singer the rest of your life or a very good musical theater singer. And he's like, and I know where your heart is. And so what happened was I said, you know, I don't think my parents will, will go for that. And he said, can I have your mom's phone number? And there was a, about a 
a 45 minute phone conversation that to this day, neither side has told me what was said, but all of a sudden that phone call ended and my parents were like, okay, you can transfer schools and go for musical theater. Yeah. And I finished with him uh, at Kent State and he and I are still very good friends and still keep in touch. And Mm. he's incredible. So that's actually why I transferred was to follow him. Wow. So talk to me about those two years that you spent at Kent State. I mean, you must've it must have been really different than your training uh, vocal performance wise at your previous school. It really, really was. It was quite a culture shock, I think. Um, And I think that that's just because the opera world and and musical theater are two very, very different worlds. And I think it boils down to the fact that opera singers are seen as not really even starting their careers until mid thirties. You have to go to grad school and and you're the young one and you have to put this time in. So it's much more of an ensemble mindset where everyone's growing and learning and working together. And musical theater is a little more cutthroat. It's kind of a frantic feeling of, I have to be the best now. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Uh, and when I transferred schools, I, I didn't know anyone. And luckily my sorority had a chapter at this school as well. So I did have my sorority sisters uh, and my very good friend, Emily Hubbard, who was uh, both in the sorority and musical theater. And so she kind of is my mama bear and took me under her wing. but. Within getting to Kent State in the first couple months, I was cast as mother in ragtime, which pissed off a lot of people, a lot of people. And uh, I didn't understand why, but people were not were not happy about it uh, because, you know, I came out of nowhere and suddenly had to leave in this musical and I just wanted friends. <laughs> um, so it was it was a it was a tough two years. And I think I, I am grateful that I went because I think I learned a lot about the industry, but I also learned um, how to really make my focus the work and not the extraneous noise and outside forces. Because I, I truly believe that as a performer, the only thing you are in control of is how hard you work yep. and what you bring to the table. So I think it was kind of a nice reminder of that and a, and a nice entry into what the professional world is. Mm. Um, so yeah. So when you, when, you know, your final year at Kent State, did you guys have a, a showcase? Ah, yes, we did. Did we you have it in New York? Yeah. Yes. Um, we had a showcase and, uh, I was so excited and I went and I had a couple agents interested in me, but no one signed me because, mm-hmm. and I, at the time I had really blonde hair and I'm five, one, and I'm fairly curvy. And I had three different agents say, and it was at the height of her career. And everyone's like, Megan Hilty's already here. Like she's already here. And I heard that so many times. I remember sobbing my way through Times Square with my mom, sobbing on my way back to my hotel because no one wanted to sign me. And I met with one agent who was like, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. It's not that you're not talented because you are incredibly talented. It's just, there's no market for you right now. And he said, you know, where are you from? I said, Chicago goes, okay, why don't you move to Chicago and build up your regional work and come back when you're a little older, because that's going to be your time to shine. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I suck at this then, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, um, what were, what were, like, you were probably what, 2022 20, or so? I 21. Mean, and, 21? you know, seeing a lot of my friends get signed and yeah. plan to move to New York. And I was heartbroken because I assumed that that would have been my step as well. And it wasn't. And I was really, really heartbroken. And, you know, I ended up moving home after graduation to Chicago and, a mixture of that as well as kind of my rough time at Kent State, I I had a moment where I realized at that point in my life, it wasn't fun for me anymore. And that's always mm-hmm. been my rule where if it's not fun, it's not worth it because life's already really hard. And if I'm, if I'm miserable in it, I don't want to do it. And so I was going to go to back to nursing school. Okay. 
and I, you know, had applied and all these things. And then I got an email um, from Jeff Richmond, who was my keynote speaker at graduation. So he came from my graduation and we performed our showcase as a thank you to him. And he came up to me after and he said, what are your plans after school? And this was after showcase. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm moving home to Chicago. And we got in a little conversation because that's where he met Tina. They both worked at the Second City. And hmm. I said, yeah, I'm moving to Chicago and I'm going to go to nursing school. And I remember him going, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I got an email about four months later and I was sitting in my office job. I was working at a construction company doing data entry and I got an email for him that asked if I lived in New York and if I'd be willing to come do some demos for Mean Girls. And my mom was working at the same company. And so I was like, mom, and she came running into my cubicle. And I said, what, what do I do? Like I had a boyfriend I was crazy about and I had this life set up in Chicago. I said, what do I do? And she goes, I don't know, but I just booked you a one-way ticket. So you better figure it out. <laughs> Your mother. She's the best. Um, so I, I went for a month and I couch surfed with a couple of friends because I had no money and wasn't going to sign a lease. And, um, it kind of snowballed where it was supposed to just be a couple weeks. And then he said, Oh, can you quickly record this thing for this new TV show we have? I just want to hear it in a female voice. No uh huh. And it just started this working relationship where my friend, Emily Hubbard, I was sharing her queen bed with her. Like she let <laughs> me live in her queen bed for three weeks with her, bless her heart. And she turns to me and she goes, you know, you can't leave. Right. And like my oh. boyfriend had broken up with me while I was in New York because he mm. didn't want to do long distance. And she was like, you can't leave. You can't just like, you have to try. Mm. Um, and so I stayed thinking, you know, I'll stay as long as this mean girls connection is going, I'll, I'll stay. And now 10 years later, I'm still here. Married 10 years later. I mean, seriously. And, and mean girls in itself was in development for some time. Oh yeah. It, I started, I guess it's maybe more like eight years because I, I recorded the first demo the first two, which was What's Wrong With Me and Stupid With Love. I recorded wow. them on the same day. And that was in 20, the fall of 2013. Okay. And then it just went from there. So I've, I've sung every single character in the show, including all the men track. <laughs> like they had me do like, whose house is this? And I was like, this is, this is weird. And also I can't rap. And um, it was a really incredible process because I would sit in the room for the beginning stages. So it would be, Tina Fey, Jeff Richmond, Nell Benjamin, and Casey Nicola, just the four of them bouncing ideas. And then me sitting in the corner, like silent and being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then Jeff would be like, and I wrote this song, T, stand up and perform it. So I'd sing it for them. And it was incredible because Jeff, he hired me. Um, he's like, you know, I need to hear it in a female voice. And I also want to hire a singer. So he would ask me things. He'd be like, is this tricky because of the note? Is it tricky because of the phrasing? Why are you struggling with this particular phrase? And I'd be like, oh, cause you don't have anywhere I breathe 20 seconds before that. And he was like, oh cool, we'll fix it. So we collaborated a lot and changed a lot of different things to make it more suitable for, you know, and I, I would openly say things like Some, no one can do that eight times a week. And he'd be like, oh shit, you're right. And he would change it. Um, and it just kind of snowballed into that where then I was asked to do readings and the lab and all sorts of things up until, um, it became a fully fledged production. I was very fortunate. Um, I still had to audition, but you know, they were like, you can come to the final callbacks. We know you can sing. And I was like, great, thank you. Like, and what a collaborative process. That makes me really excited knowing that that team was so heavily involved with um, having actors and, and other creatives really give their insight into what is going to make that show work. And they yeah. did. 
during this period between moving to New York and mm-hmm. actually making your Broadway debut in Mean Girls, which of course we're going to talk about. <laughs> so, course. you know, that time in between, I want to know about this time because, um, there, it probably was really awesome for you. Like these like little steps that you had to keep going and keep moving forward. But in the grand scheme of things, it probably didn't seem like anything was super huge, quote mm-hmm. unquote, until the Broadway show, until the Broadway debut. Yeah, absolutely. So during that time, I was nannying because I love children. I was a camp counselor. That's kind of my jam. I love hanging out with kids. And so I was just nannying. And, and that's a very lucrative position in New York if you're with the right family. You know, I, I was very fortunate in that I didn't have to work five jobs. I wasn't, you know, working at a bar. I, I had one job and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And nothing really felt big also because, you know, I didn't have an agent and I, I was, I had EMC points, but I wasn't really sure how things went. And also, you know, they were very honest at the time. They were like, you know, we are considering you for Katie. And it was said to me very openly that it was like, we'd prefer it if you kind of stayed on the down low, because if we do cast you, we want you to kind of be a nobody and out of nowhere underdog. So I wasn't really pursuing anything because I'm like, you know, I might. And I remember, um, I had gotten an email from Bernie Telsey directly. And I was like, what the hell? And he said, you know, I've heard a lot about you through various people because it was kind of like this girl who's working on Mean Girls and and she's nobody knows who she is and and she can kind of do all these different things and vocally. And he's like, you know, I'd love for you to come in and have a meeting with me at 4 p.m. on a Friday. We'll go through your book. Um, I just want to get to know you. We'll, We'll chat. And I was like, okay, so. I went in and that's exactly what we did. And and I ran through my book and he gave me some pointers and whatnot. And he was like, you know, I'll start bringing you in for things if I think you're you're good for them. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's that's such a huge help. And I remember I got an email from him about two weeks later for the the um, the non-actor of Sound of Music. And he's like, I'd love to bring you in for Maria to the final callbacks. And and I I, I thought about it and it was when Mean Girls was kind of starting to start up and then. I emailed him back and I said, I'm so, I'm so grateful. And that is a dream role. It's, you know, Maria is still one of my dream roles. And I said, but I, I my gut tells me if I leave New York right now, I'm going to lose this connection with Mean Girls and they're going to find someone else to fill my spot in terms of um, demos and, and collaboration. And my gut just says I need to stay here. And he was like, that's ballsy, but I appreciate it. Good luck. Um, and it luckily paid off, but it was, it nothing felt big until all of a sudden it was very big. That is a choice that so many actors have to make throughout their career is Mm -hmm. choosing whether or not to go to that audition. And I mean, that was not even just an initial call. That was final callbacks for a a major role in a major production. Um, But so many times I hear that actors have to do that. They have to, Mm -hmm. uh, even myself, we have to make a decision whether or not um, your priorities are in line with what this job could or could not be. And so you, it, it very could have, it very much could have been that by the time Mean Girls became a thing, they just moved on from you. Right. They, it could have not become a thing at all. I mean, there were so many, so many options there, so many possibilities, but. Right. And I knew at the time I, I talked to my husband about it. We were, you know, just dating at the time. And I said, I have to follow my gut on this. And I know the Mean Girls team owes me nothing. They don't even owe me an audition. That's mm. not how this works. But at that point I had, you know, I had started to give so much of my voice to the production and, and I was falling in love with these characters. And I was like, I, I just, my gut is telling me I got to see where this goes. Hmm. Um, and he was like, okay, then you do it. And luckily it worked out, but that was 
probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make. Hmm. So Mean Girls finally gets set on Broadway. I mean, it obviously had its out-of-town tryout in D.C., mm-hmm. and then it goes on Broadway. You were hired on as what initially? So initially, um, I had done the lab as Katie, and it was so much fun and so great. And when it came time for out-of-town, they kind of sat me down, and they were like, T, we love you. You're so amazing. The producers are hesitant to back you leading the show because you've never been on Broadway. You you are so green. You don't really have – you are out of nowhere, and – being on Broadway eight times a week is, is a learned skill. Hmm. And they're like, this is a multi-million dollar production and we're nervous about it. And <laughs> so we'll offer you standby for, it was originally for Katie Gretchen and adult woman. Mm-hmm. And cause originally they only had a standby track for the adult woman because she's an adult. Yeah. Everyone else was going to be covered internally. And, uh, they were like, why don't we just turn it into a Katie standby as well? And why not? We'll throw Gretchen on there too. And this was before <laughs> Gretchen was a dance role for the record. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, absolutely. I was so honored and so thrilled. And so originally, and in DC, I only covered Gretchen, adult woman and Katie. And that mm. was it. Uh, and then obviously that changed with my <laughs> debut and previews. But yeah, so that's originally who I was hired to cover. Just wow. those three. Okay. Now tell me, <laughs> tell me about that infamous Broadway debut. We were, it was the middle of tech on Broadway. And, you know, for anyone that doesn't know and is listening tech on Broadway, you know, you are in rehearsals from noon until six or 10 until six, and you put in adjustments from the night before, and then you perform something else at night. Things are constantly changing. So I'm up in the, in the rafters with the swings, learning three different shows for three different characters and things that are changing. And in my mind, I was like, I'm focusing on Katie first because that's, that's the most important one. If anything happens, I go on for that first. Like Gretchen and adult woman, we have multiple covers, but like, it was always well known that like Katie is my, my go-to. Right. So I'm focused on Katie. And, um, that day we weren't even called till like two 30. So everyone was so excited because we got to sleep in and, uh, I get to the theater and, and Barrett comes out and we had been roommates in, in DC uh-huh. and, um, we were a little bit tipsy one night and <laughs> She was making fun of me because she was like, you have a photographic memory. It's insane. I was like, I know I have this weird, crazy memory where if I see something or hear it once, it, it sticks. And she, she was like, do you think you could do my role? And I was like, I could absolutely do it. <laughs> I don't even think it would be a problem. Like, you know, because whatever, like totally kidding. And so she comes on stage and she's, she's wrapped in this long coat. And I look at her and I was like, oh, she doesn't look so good. Like Bear does not look so good. And she pulls the director, Casey, off to the side, and they huddle, and I, I'm just watching it. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I, ooh, I think, I think she's calling out, which I was like, ooh, uh, ooh. Like, the, the only two Janice covers are in the ensemble, and then the swings aren't ready, so I'm running through it in my head, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't even think the swings have costumes yet. Like, oh, my God. I'm watching it happen, and uh, Casey, he, he announces, and he's like, you know, we are um, – Barrett's calling out the show and uh, we're going to take Gianna in the back to go sing. And I knew Gianna had the flu too. Like I knew she was sick as a dog. She was so sick and was pushing through because it was tech. Like the swings hadn't even set foot on the stage. So everyone's like hobbling to the finish line. So they go into the lobby and they come back out and I'm like, uh oh. And I just see Casey start walking towards me and I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, that feeling in your stomach where you're like, am I about to throw up or poop? Like I can't decide. So he walks up to me and he goes, he goes, Barrett, Barrett says, you know, the show. And I was like, what? And he's like, Barrett, Barrett says you could do a track. Could you? 
And I just stare at him and I go, um, yeah, I can. I go, yeah, I can. Cause you know, I had been watching the show for weeks and even yeah. if I, and what, what are you going to say? No. So I'm, cause then, you know what, they're going to cancel the show. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can. And he goes, great. Get on stage. We'll start at the top of the show. Someone get her a mic. And I was like, what, what? So, and you know, the stage manager is like, what do you need? And I'm like, can someone text my husband? <laughs> and they're like, okay. So they like text and get a ticket for him. Like, I don't even tell my family, like my family wasn't aware. And I was on stage, started at the top of the show. They taught me the choreography on the desk and we just went from there. And, and I surprised myself at how much I knew line wise and blocking wise. And, um, so I rehearsed for 90 minutes on stage. We just, we, we just run through, we're like, great move it. And no set or anything. It's just like, we're just going through powering through it. And, uh, we get to, I'd rather be me and I'm on the desk and I'm singing and I knew all the words because it was my favorite song. And they had written that even after during the lap. So like, that wasn't one I actually sang. Oh. I just loved watching Barrett do it. So I knew it. And uh, I start doing it and the whole cast is looking at me and everyone's sobbing. <laughs> and I was like, you guys got to stop. Like, I am not going to be able to get through this. And so we like get through it and Kate Rockwell comes up to me after and she goes, do you have any idea how unbelievable that is that you knew every word and every blocking and you put acting beats in it and like, this is unbelievable. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I have to go to a makeup fitting. Oh so my we're God. running all night and Gray Henson, who bless that man's soul, he comes up to me and he goes, just so you know, I will not let anything happen to you on that stage. And he's like, I've got you covered. I will not let you get hurt. I will not let you be in the wrong spot. I will pick up your lines. He's like, don't stress. Like I've got your back. And sure enough, like the only time that I didn't know really what was happening is where do you belong? Because Katie and uh, Janice are mirrored and there's desks flying and people dancing with trays. And so Gray just foregoed, foregoed, oh, that's the wrong word. He got rid of all of his blocking and just grabbed me under his arm and just walked around with me so I wouldn't get hurt. Um, and I totally just blacked out for the 90 minutes. The only thing I remember is like, anytime I'd come off stage, there'd be a stage, there'd be a stage manager there with a script running me to a changing room and running lines for the next scene. And uh, then I did the show for two days and then I got the flu because everyone was hugging me and high-fiving me and my adrenaline crashed. No, but it was perfect. Cause then Gianna got to have her day. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. Um, but I'm so lucky too, because the second night my mom was able to get on a plane and come see the second one. Um, but it was crazy. Cause like they didn't even announce what happened beforehand. There was a slip that I have framed that it just says like standby T boy. It didn't say I didn't cover the role. Cause I think they were like, we don't want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> so they didn't acknowledge it. And halfway through though, apparently like people in the audience started to understand because you could feel a shift and like anytime I did anything was met with like crazy applause, like people started mm. to get it. And then at the end, there's a video where when I run out at the end, the whole cast loses their mind for my bow and they're on the ground pounding and chanting my name. And I'm just like, just dumbstruck. And I'm also so tired. <laughs> and um, that's, it was a really, really cool moment. Um, it was everyone's worst nightmare, I think. Cause everyone's like, that's my theater nightmare. I'm like, mine too. Like, because everyone's like, did you have so much fun? I'm like, listen, I had fun at the bows. Yeah. <laughs> I've literally had that nightmare before of like, yes, of, of covering a role that, or going on for a role that I do not cover and not knowing anything prior. That's, I mean, seriously. And I mean, the life of a swing, the life of a standby, the life of an understudy is hard enough as it is, but did they end up adding that, that role for you? 
Yeah. So after the first two, I think that they were like, oh, she's actually, she's actually pretty good at this. Um, and they pulled me aside and they were like, you know, the producers were really happy with your Janice. And I was like, I know. Cause I'm an angry bitch all the time. Hey. Not really. But I was like, <laughs> I, originally they were hesitant because I'm, you know, Katie and I, I have kind of a dizzy voice and I'm not a, I don't have a rock voice. And, um, they sat down and they were like, listen, if it's not too much, since, since you clearly know it, <laughs> um, we'd like to add it to your, um, your, your roles. And I said, that's totally fine. However, um, I don't want to have the hierarchy for Janice because standbys are normally the go-to they go on first. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to take that away from the understudies for Janice. I don't think that's fair. I said, I'm happy to add it to my rotation, uh, but I can't be going on every time. And also because vocally I can't be going on every time. That's not my, it's not my jam. Um, and they were like, okay, we totally hear you. Um, and for their credit, they tried to do that. I it did end up, you know, as I got more comfortable vocally, I was like, okay, cool. Cause Barrett just is a, a freak of nature with her vocal cords and that track, you know, it's like Janice is off stage for half an hour, then comes on and belts a D and then leaves again. And you're like, Oh God, like it's, it's tricky in different ways. And, uh, so they did add it to my rotation and and it grew to be one of the ones I, I liked a lot. That being said, um, you know, I also wanted to talk to you about this as well, because I know that you are, you're an advocate for um, mental health and uh, mental health specifically for, for artists. But um, I know a lot of people can identify with you and with your story and, and what you have to say. Um, so, you know, is there... Is there anything that if there was a, a young artist who was looking to pursue a career in the theater industry, is there anything that you would have to say to them about, um, you know, protecting their mental health as, as both a performer and an individual in this, in this industry? Absolutely. So I have been diagnosed with general anxiety uh, since I was about 15, 16. And I've always on and off gone to therapists and, and I've always had that as kind of a part of me. And um, I think people are aware of it now, but actually the time I was with Mean Girls, I was suffering from terrible, terrible depression, just terrible depression, could barely get out of bed. And it was hard because it was hard for me to understand because I could understand why I wasn't just happy. I had everything I wanted and I, and I still was suffering. And, um, I worked really hard to, to not ask for help, which I think in retro, well, I know in retrospect was a huge mistake. Um, because I wanted to be seen as very professional and I wanted to be seen as indestructible. But the truth is actors are, it's our privilege and our gift to portray human life. And it's, that's hard on a soul. That's hard to be that vulnerable and to open up that hard. And I think it's really important. I'm such an advocate that I think everyone and their mother should go to therapy. Everyone and their mom should go to therapy. I love my therapist now. And um, I think especially for actors of any caliber, but especially on Broadway where it's eight times a week and it's nonstop and, and it is hard and you're auditioning during the day. I don't understand why mental health isn't considered the same as physical health. Um, you know, you are, you're encouraged where if you're hurt, take time off a show. If you're sick, take time off a show. But if, if you're, if you're struggling to go and, and I, it's not just me. I remember like once I was playing Janice and Erica was playing Katie and she turned to me and her mic was off and my mic was off. And she goes, I am on the verge of a panic attack on stage. And I just grabbed her hand for the entire scene. And we just like did some breathing together. And like, it's, it affects so many more people than I think people are even aware of. So my advice to any young professionals is 
to do the work on yourself too. make sure you're okay. Make sure you have a therapist, make sure you're taking time for yourself, make sure you know how to meditate, all these things. And also realize, I think young actors have this, it's all or nothing mentality. And I think that that's a detriment to so many because it is so hard to break into the industry and, and to have a long career in the industry is nearly impossible unless you're like Patty Lapone, you know, it's, <laughs> so it is a struggle for so, so many people. And I have always, this is something a therapist gave me when I was going into college where she said, you can just view it as your career. You can have your friends outside of the theater world. You can make sure. And she said, you have to have things beyond theater that fulfill you and make you happy. You have to, or you will drown. Um, and so that's something I've worked really hard to do. But for young actors, my best advice is like, get a therapist that you love, take care of your mind and body, and also listen to your gut. Like if there were times where I would call it sick to the show because I had a panic attack and I would just say, I'm sick. I didn't feel that they were, uh, I don't feel that, cause I didn't feel I needed to explain myself any further than that. Um, and I would just say, I'm, I'm sick. I can't come in today. There's like, no is a complete sentence, I think. Yeah. I've, and I've seen, I've also seen Patty Murin say something mm -hmm. very similar about how she deals with, um, certain issues with mental health. And so her, her way of coping, um, in the moment when she was in frozen was to mm -hmm. say, I'm sick. I cannot, I, I am not well enough to do the show. And there is no, if, ands or buts it's, I right. am, I need to take care of myself. And that's why there are, that's why there are standbys and understudies. And just because there's the, the, the stigma behind being physically sick and mm -hmm. mentally unwell is drastically different. Um, it shouldn't be. No, it, it really shouldn't be. And I think as things are progressing, that's becoming more and more known. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've had a lot of young actors ask me, you know, what happens if you get anxious during a show? And I have never had that happen. I'm, I'm not, so I can't speak to that. I'm very fortunate in that, like, once I'm, once I'm on the train, I'm on the train. Like, I don't even, someone will be like, did you see that audience member? And I was like, oh crap, there's an audience. Like, I don't, I am a one track mind, luckily. Um, so I, I have never had that happen, but I know of people who like mid show have to call out because they're like, I, I am panicked. And I think that that's a completely legitimate reason. The human brain is something that we don't fully understand yet. And to pass off panic attacks as just, you know, oh, you're just a little nervous is just so detrimental. Can you talk about that time during Mean Girls when you were feeling so, so down, um, mm -hmm. how you were able to, to fight that and to fight through and to continue going? Was there uh, a certain therapist that you ended up going to see, or was there someone in your life that, that helped you in that way? It, it was my husband. I, I, had gone to see some therapists and find a therapist you love is, is like falling in love. It's, it's hit or miss. And you have to be able, and it's hard too, because the first therapy appointment is hardy. Like you having to rehash the same stuff you want you want to work on. It's hard to open up to multiple people like that. And if you don't get a good vibe, sometimes you're like, oh, I'll stick it out and I'll, I'll try. And, and I wasn't having luck in the therapy department. And I was so busy with mean girls that it's almost like I didn't have the time when in reality, I didn't make the time, hmm. but for me, I just, it became so much about the work and it was a self-perpetuating machine of struggle where I was doing the work to fulfill me, but then I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So I was doing the work to try and fulfill me further. Hmm. And it was really, really hard. And, um, I was lucky that I loved my job 
I wasn't going to a job that I hated. I was going to a job where I got to perform and I loved it. And I loved that it was different every night because that's one of my favorite things about being a standby is I, I yeah. tend to get bored very easily. And that never happened because that <laughs> can't happen. Um, you never get comfortable enough in a role to get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was really hard. I started towards the end of my run. Um, I, I made the decision not to resign my contract. I was offered, but I was like, I'm just, I'm, I, I need to, I need to take, I need to take a year and I need to get myself in order before I can continue this. And so, and they totally understood that. And they were like, you know, there's always a place for you mean girls, which I, they followed through with. And they asked me to come back when Sabrina came back. But, um, I traveled, I took, about six weeks, I went to Europe with my husband because I never had the chance to do that. I had been working since the minute I left school. And so we traveled and, um, I found a workout that I loved, which never happened before. I hate working out, but I I found one program that I loved and that was so game changing for me. And, um, then I found a therapist I loved and I got on antidepressants and all these things that added up to me when they did ask me to come back. Um, I sat my husband down. I said, what do you think? And he said, I think you're in such a different place now. And you know what you're walking into. You know what the Broadway world entails. Because everything was so new to me. It was all so new. And it, you you want so badly to do well for everyone when you're young. And I think I knew what I was walking into. And I had an easier time, even with my contract negotiations, my second time around being like, XYZ is what I need. Like, you either give that to me or you don't. Whereas first time around, I was just so grateful to even be considered. Um, and I think that that shouldn't negate the fact that you should be able to advocate for yourself and your needs and what you want and what will make you healthy and happy. Um, and I think that's something that just came from all the work I had done the previous year on myself. Um, cause I'm such a people pleaser. It's my biggest downfall, uh, to be able to really advocate for myself. And I, I went in for my second round a completely different person. And even people in the cast were like, oh my God, you seem so much, you seem lighter. You seem not as serious. It was amazing. And then, you know, then I got two days at work after rehearsal and we shut down and I was like, ah, damn it. Like, ah, but. And to yeah. those, those who were making Broadway debuts at that point. Oh, my heart like, broke for them. Can you, I don't know. I can't even, I cannot even imagine, but. And that's, you know, people have reached out a lot of fans with their condolences for me. And I always say like, thank you. I appreciate that. But I, this was more of a victory lap than anything. Like I already, I did, I was excited to come back for six months, like, and (laughs) it was a bonus. And I, I had my time, but these, these young kids that just started, like my heart just breaks for them. And, and especially with the uncertainty of everything now. And I just keep telling them like, the arts are so like, they're so strong and they will come back and they have come back. We just don't know when and how, but they will. But yeah. the people, you know, people need the arts. Mm-hmm. And artists are resilient and they're mm-hmm. certainly finding ways of t- continuing to create art during this time, which is so inspiring and yeah. um, really exciting. Just something to look forward to is oh. the, the the work that's going to be produced and, and created outside of this. But I think we're going to have a complete renaissance of work because you have all these creative people stuck in their homes with nothing <laughs> to do. So we're going to get all these incredible works. <laughs> Um, and I can't wait.
If you enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so we can be friends. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Join me every single week with a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. Until next time, this is Maggie Barra signing off. It takes a village. I will see you next week.